Welcome to the Grow and Learn podcast, everyone, and welcome to everybody joining us on Heal and Learn today. This is Zorina, your host. Today, we're speaking about finances. We're going to be touching topics such as how to grow, how to make millions as an entrepreneur, how to pick yourself up after being ruined or lied to, what to do in the rough financial environment that we're finding ourselves into or we're sailing towards. I'm welcoming today Jerry Fetter, a seven-figure young millionaire who's going to teach us the secrets of money and wealth. Hi, Jerry. Hi, Zarina. Thanks for having me on today. Thanks for joining. Jerry, you run as one of your main um, activities, the company Wealth Dynamics. Is this your main business? Yeah, that's my main company. Uh, everything I do kind of uh, falls under that umbrella. So that's the main thing I do. And it's kind of been my main thing for many years now. Tell us about it. What do you do with it? What kind of services you provide? Yeah, so we work with, um, you know, primarily North America, right? So we have a lot of clients in, in the United States, Canada, Puerto Rico. We do have some clients international. Um, and our big thing is sharing the truth about money. Um, you know, there's studies, the statistics show that over 53% of us adults get stressed out when they think about their personal finances. Um, and so that's something that's kind of a big deal. When you think about money, it's, it's right up there with oxygen and needing to sleep and needing to breathe and needing to eat. Like we're, we're kind of in that system. So, um, you know, I grew up, you know, very poor, uh, you know, I, I went through my bouts of, of, you know, homelessness as a kid and different things where I didn't have money. And so no one ever taught me about that. And I started to realize that that was the case for most people, right? So we teach families, individuals, entrepreneurs, the truth about money, help them get financially educated. We also help families and individuals and entrepreneurs become solvent where they're earning more than they spend. They own more in assets than they own liabilities. They're building reserves. They're you know, building on their way to become an investor. And, and really our whole focus is helping people achieve greater financial freedom in life. Okay. Okay. So, so, so this is already quite impressive because you mentioned the word homelessness. And I know that people that come from dire circumstances that it's tough to pick yourself up. And especially if you're, if you're, if you've experienced this as a child. So at a very young age, your mindset is formed. How did you turn this around? How did you uh, reach the point of wealth where you find yourself at right now? Yeah, um, so I was homeless as a kid. So when I was when I was eight years old, Zarina, my mom and dad got divorced. Um, so this is all in one summer. My mom and dad got divorced. Um, our house got foreclosed on. The car got repoed. Um, at my mom's house, we were homeless. We were living in, in a, uh, a dry camper behind someone's house. At my dad's house, we were literally living in a tent the entire summer. Um, I was eight, so I thought we were camping, right? I wasn't aware that we, we didn't have anywhere else to live, but we were, you know, basically in a tent. So, um, you know, as a kid, that was something where it, it, um, it ingrains two things into you. For me, it ingrained, you know, some poverty mindset where I didn't believe that I could have financial success. Um, I didn't think it was possible. I didn't have any examples around me. And that was kind of on the, on the downside. But on the plus side, when you start out with nothing, you're really not afraid of losing it. Like you don't have any, any you know, fear of you're, you're kind of already at the bottom. And so I, I noticed, you know, for me growing up in that kind of a world, um, everything took effort. Mm -hmm. You know, everything was extra work. Everything took extra, extra, you know, energy to do. And so that was a good thing because as an entrepreneur today, that's a trait that I also have where I'm willing to work and do things that, you know, many others wouldn't be just because I, I remember where I come from. 
so that was that was kind of there. And then I ended up homeless again. Um, so good. I had to do it twice. Right. Um, I ended up homeless again when I was uh, 19 years old. I was newly married. Uh, we were living in my mom's apartment and the lady downstairs was actually cooking heroin. And so we had to move out. Uh, we didn't have a place to live. We ended up squatting in an abandoned house. My wife and I did. Um, and that was like within the first few, few, maybe six months or so of us being married. Uh, and you know, that was, that was another phase of that. And so as I started to, um, kind of just confront the situation around me, I had to take responsibility for it. I had to look at, okay, this keeps happening, you know, and, and, you know, if it happens once, sure. But if it keeps happening, I have something to do with it. I'm recreating the same scenario again. Um, and so I really solved that through a lot of, you know, hard knocks and having to go through some of the lessons that you learn in a situation like that. But then also personal development. I spent a lot of time, you know, listening to podcasts like you have, um, reading books, you know, listening to audios. And, and I probably, you know, spent, you know, a college degree's worth of hours doing personal development on my own, trying to figure out how do I become better. Um, and so I attribute a lot of where I'm at today between that and just, you know, hard work and continuing to learn and grow. So Jerry, you attribute this uh, success mostly to the personal development trainings and hours that you've spent in it, or was there a part of luck or how would you call it? Is it hard work and mindset? How would you define, define yeah. your, yeah. I would say hard work and mindset. Um, unfortunately, I'm not. I'm not the lucky one. I like. I've. I've. Uh, I've yet to find like the lucky break. And I know that some people have that, where it's like, you know, the right timing and the right place and the right people come together and it just kind of unfolds. Um, you know, I think that that's that's more of just a numbers game. You know, at some point, I'll I'll probably experience that in my lifetime, and it'll be cool when it happens. But you know, up till now, it's been you know just hard work. Um, you know, in high school, I was, uh, I got into bodybuilding. So I was a competitive bodybuilder. And, you know, in that kind of sport, it is about hard work. It's how many times can you lift the weights and you diet and you do all this stuff. And so I was very used to that. Um, and so the mindset and the hard work really were big components for me. And the interesting part about it was initially I didn't have the mindset. So I was working hard just on pure faith, just like, okay, this feels like the right thing. I don't have a track record. I don't believe in myself. I don't have any reason to think this is going to pan out okay, other than what's my other option to go back and be homeless. Like, like, so I didn't have another thing to go do. So, you know, the hard work started to develop results. And I started to see those, those, um, those, you know, those track records, those indicators, that that evidence of, okay, this is actually working. And that really built my mindset up, right? So there's this book, you know, Think and Grow Rich, uh, which I read and I under I understand and agree with some of that, but I also think there's an element of go do the actions first and the thinking will catch up later sometimes. Mm. Yeah, you have to be flexible with these things. I agree. I've also, it's one of the books that I've also read, you know, back in the day and sometimes I go back to it, but it's not mm -hmm. the entire truth, I, I believe. Okay, mm -hmm. so you reached the point of success and then it all went downwards again last year. What happened? Yes, so... um. Yeah, kind of last year. So this was last fall. So, you know, I'm, I'm a very big investor. And so I have, you know, my company, and then I also do real estate investing, and I invested in some different private funds. And so in August of last year, I got an email. And that email basically told me that a fund that I invested in had committed fraud. Um, they had lost money. The, the owner of the fund, he didn't have the courage to tell the investors he lost the money. So his solution was to falsify all of our statements and tell us we were making money, even though he had lost the money. 
Um, and nobody was the wiser for, for a while. We were able to, you know, I was able to put money in, I was able to pull money out, you know, just nothing felt like it was off. My statement said it was positive every month. And so this was the last thing I was expecting. So I, I got that, that um, message showing, you know, it was fraudulent. The um, investigators for the government here had caught on and they were, they were shutting the fund down. Uh, and so with that, you know, I had this fund and then I had another fund I was investing in that I didn't know had money in this first fund. So fund number two was investing in fund number one. Uh, I completely was unaware of that. And so when fund number one committed fraud, most of my assets in fund number two kind of also got caught up in that and are frozen. So I went from, you know, having monthly passive income from investments to, you know, a very high net worth to losing the majority of that. Uh, and, and kind of having to rebuild, you know, and I don't say from the bottom because I still have, you know, other things out there, right? I've got my life insurance policies. I've got my company. Uh, I've got the knowledge and the experience that I've built up in the last 12 years of doing what I do. So, um, you know, I, I had to kind of, you know, go back to square one, you know, and I start to go back to, you know, what are the basics I started with? And I'm going to now build back to where I was and beyond. So how did you manage to pick yourself back up? with the remaining wealth that you had? So, um, you know, I think I attribute a lot of this to, like I said, at the very beginning, when you start with nothing, you're not afraid of losing. You know what it's like to come from the bottom, right? And so since I had that, um, you know, it definitely was a loss. For a couple of days, I was down and out. And this is something that I think is a normal experience when you have a loss like this, like it's okay to have a day or two days or whatever, where you're like kind of, you know, just realizing what happened and letting it all sink in and recovering from it. But the key is you can't stay there, right? You can't stay down. You've got to get up at some point. And the quicker you can get up, the better. Um, and so I spent maybe a day or so where I was like, you know, mind blown. Like I, I had no, no inkling that this would ever occur. And so it was just something where I was like, what just happened? Right. Um, and so when I started to come to grips with that, I was like, okay, good. So what can I control and what can I change here? Like, what are the things that I actually am able to like, you know, move and change and do stuff with? And I realized, okay, I can't change anything about the fraud, right? I'm not an investigator. I'm not a lawyer. They're doing their job. I just have to let that happen. What I can do is I can go start rebuilding. And, I, and for a while, I was caught up on this rebuilding thing. I was like, okay, I'm rebuilding. And I kept telling myself that. I think the things we tell ourselves um, have a very high impact on, you know, what we think and the results we have. So I kept telling myself, I'm rebuilding, I'm rebuilding. And every time I did that, it kind of was a little bit of a loss. I was like, you know, I'm rebuilding. And then I'd be like, oh, yeah, because all of this stuff toppled and crashed and I'm down at the bottom again. And I had to realize that, no, I'm not rebuilding. I'm just building. Right. So when I go to the gym, I don't rework out. I just work out. I don't re-sleep. I just sleep every day right? I don't re-eat, I just eat. And so with building a company, it's the same thing. Like, sure, I might be building from a different spot than I'm in before, but I'm not rebuilding. I'm doing things I would be doing anyways. You know, I'm still training my staff. I'm still doing the marketing. I'm still doing the sales. I'm still doing all the stuff it takes to run a business. Um, and so I'm not redoing those things. I'm just doing them from where I'm at today. Sometimes where I'm at today is further than I was. Sometimes it's behind where I was. It just depends on what's happening, right? So for me, that was a mindset shift of I'm just building. And, and not only am I just building, I'm building with, you know, 12 years now of experience and personal development and, you know, support and staff that I didn't have. When I started this, I bootstrapped it. It was just me. It was my ideas. And I, I was the only guy and I had to do it all myself. I've got an entire team now. So 
you know, that was really, I think the thing that, that, you know, helped me get started so quickly was, you know, taking responsibility for the things I could change, kind of forgetting the ones that I can't change. I'm going to let those, you know, be, cause I can't focus on them anyways. It's just going to stress me out and I can't do anything about it in the first place. And then starting to take immediate action. And then the other element of that was my support system, you know, my team, my staff, right. And for someone that maybe experienced a loss where they're maybe not in a company, it might be a family thing, or it might be, you know, a friend, or it might be whatever, you know, everyone has that support system to some degree, whether that's your friends, your family, your community, your staff, your coworkers. Uh, and I think that that's tremendous to have people that are, they're there to help you, but also they're, for me, it's important that they don't feel bad for me. I didn't want the sympathy. I wanted people that encouraged me, you know, Hey, that sucks, but you know, get, get back up and, and keep moving. You're doing the right thing. You're doing a good job. And that was really what my support system did. Um, and for me, that was very helpful. Mm-hmm. So your company wealth dynamics is selling financial solutions. What kind of financial solutions? What is in the portfolio of services that you offer? So we do a lot of things. Um, we could we could sit here for probably an hour and talk about all the things we do. But the main ones I would say is is we start everything with financial education. Um, and there's a lot of information out there about finances. Uh, my belief is that education, like true knowledge, it's going to equate to successful results. And so when we look at the results, you know, in, in North America specifically where I'm at, you know, 80% of, of people here live paycheck to paycheck. Um, 60% of people don't have retirement savings and investments that are on track. Uh, Two thirds of people don't have an emergency fund. They don't have any savings built up. Um, More than half of Americans, you know, they have, you know, financial stress when they think about their financial situation. So the statistics aren't good, which means the results aren't there, which means the things we're learning about money to that degree aren't true. And so oh, it's the entire system, isn't it? it it's the entire system of uh, impoverishing the masses. So it's been going on. For, it's it, like the, what is it? The, the, the people below a certain, the, the people in the mid-income range have de- decreased tremendously in the past 40 years. I, I know that in yeah. 2010 in Germany, it was just 23% in the mid-income level, which is wow. a very small percentage. Yeah. Wow. We're seeing that tier two. We call it the middle class. The middle class is yeah, shrinking. So class. we're seeing more and more people falling into poverty. Um, that one's growing. You know, the top 1%, their net worths are going up. The ones in the middle are the ones getting crushed. Um, and that, like you said, it's been going on for, and this is kind of what I started studying. This has been going on for centuries. And so what I started studying was, okay, well, we have three groups. We've got a group that's in poverty. We've got a group in the middle that regardless of the civilization, they always are the ones that end up getting crushed. The middle class disappears, then a new civilization comes along and it restarts again. And you always have these guys at the top. And so it became one of those things, Zarina, where I was like, okay, if you can't beat them, join them. What are they doing? Right? Like, what are their successful actions? And regardless of their intentions, some of them have bad intentions and and they're greedy and whatnot, but these people know how to build wealth and they keep doing it generation after generation. I want to understand what they're doing because I want to be able to do the same and I want to teach everyone I can in the middle to be able to do that too. And then, you know, that, that creates this, this, you know, balance of people starting to actually join the top group instead of the bottom group. Um, So that's really the education we teach is like, what is that? Um, I call them old dead, you know, wealthy people. If I read their biographies and I spent years and years doing this, studying people like the Rockefellers and JP Morgan and Andrew Carnegie and the Rothschilds and all these guys. Right. And 
you know, they had a lot of similarities in the structural way they operated their finances. You know, what were the it's steps they took? Investment. What were the things they did? Exactly. It's majority exactly. investment. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this, 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 I understand that it's, uh, you know, the second level is own business. Mm -hmm. The first level is being an employee. Second level, own your own business if profitable. And third level is investment. Third, that's the right. top. But uh, okay, so now we come to the point of where to invest and what's going on in the world as you're following everything that's going on in the US, also in Europe. How would you advise people to invest their money, you know, whether they're a big investor or a person in, uh, in, a, in the middle class? Yeah, so I would say, uh, and this is kind of a thing that I use uh, to, to gauge investments, right? So the word invest at its derivation, like where that word comes from, it actually at its very root, it originally, and I think it's actually Germanic, but it means to, or no, 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 invest, I think is actually French, uh, but it means to clothe your capital. So if you think about putting clothing on your money, that's what an investment is. It's clothes mm. that your money is going to wear. So I'm a simple guy. I didn't go to college or anything, right? So I think about clothing. When I clothe myself, I only would wear clothing that I like. I only would wear clothing that I understand. I would only wear clothing that fits me personally. I would only wear clothing that fits the things I'm going to use it for. I would only wear clothing first that's vital, right? So I'm going to make sure that I'm wearing pants before I put on $400 shoes. Um, and I'm not going to wear clothing that's overpriced, right? And then the final one, and this is where I went wrong last year, I'm only going to wear clothing that I control, right? I don't want to be, you know, walking into work and someone can take my pants away. You know, I need those. I put them on for a reason, right? So same thing with investing is I would only invest in things that I like that I understand things that fit me personally as an investor. They fit the things that I'm going to be using that investment for. They're vital, right? And so that would mean that I'm going to invest in things like food, clothing, shelter, education, et cetera, maybe before I invest in a brand new tech stock, right? Um, so that's going to be vital. And then I'm not going to invest in things that are overpriced. So I have to understand the difference between price and value. Price is what I pay. Value is what I get. Uh, and then finally, I'm only going to invest in things that I control. And so that's going to be, for me, a lot of it's hard assets. I like real estate. I like gold and silver. Uh, I'm very big on life insurance, um, you know, my own business. So there's a lot of different things that one could invest in. I think starting out, the very best place to start is education, right? There's no rush to jump into investments. You know, we want to make sure we do have enough education where we understand what do we know? What do we not know? What do we like? What do we not like? What fits us? All of those different points, right? So I think that that's probably a good starting point for the average person. And then I think especially, you know, the economy that we're heading into, um, I think that the ability to add value and earn income is going to be the number one investment. I think we're going to see, you know, those that have very high professional skill levels where they can really come into a company or a business, or even if it is a business owner, work with a client and add lots of value. Um, you know, it's really going to put that person in a, in a position where they can earn lots of income and income is where it all starts. And I would couple that with we're heading into a realm of artificial intelligence. So all of us as individuals have to start asking what makes me more valuable than a robot. And if it's something that a robot can do, cool, I need to be better than that, right? Uh, writing a book, an artificial intelligence is going to be able to write a book. You know, I can write a book. So what makes my book better than an AI book? Right. So these are little things that I think about. And I think that really comes down to investing in our value first. 
Yeah, I mean, what the, uh, the, in, in the in essence, it is what differentiates us from machines because AI is not only it's not a simple machine. You know, they're they're AIs AIs that sit on boards. So if you think that you're a very high level, a very strategic mind, and nobody can replace you because AI is replacing, you know, just like in the previous industrial revolution, uh, just manual uh, works. Now it's replacing real analytical, high strategic works. Like they mm -hmm. literally sit on boards now. So what what is your what could this profession potentially be? I mean, AI is in um, in medicine in practically all sectors in education everywhere now yeah and i think the one thing that ai <clears throat> you know one of many things but the one that comes to mind is is ai cannot have a human connection mm. and i think that that is the thing that you know above all else separates us from you know that kind of you know automation and and machine you know learning and and computing is the human connection and i think that that's a part that you know as a as an individual, whether I'm an employee or an entrepreneur or whatever, the more I can connect with the people that I serve and work with, the more valuable I become to them. Um, you know, it is kind of like, you know, for, for someone that has kids, you would never trade them for a robot. You know, you, you probably could get a robot that, you know, does the chores better and doesn't talk back as much and, but it's not the same thing. Right. And that's because there's that connection there. Um, and so I think that that part of it is really, you know, emotional intelligence. I think the more that we as individuals can understand the human mind and the human emotions and what makes people tick and what makes us tick, and we can start to integrate that into our day-to-day -day lives, I think that makes us irreplaceable. Yeah, wonderful. Amen. <laughs> Although I'm yeah. not religious. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, <laughs> yeah, okay, great. Wonderful. I, 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 I support everything you said so far. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So where are we going next in, in this economy in the coming few months? What is your forecast? So it's going to be an interesting few months. Um, if you've watched the news at all, in the last two months, we've had in the U.S. four major bank failures over on your side of the pond, Switzerland. Um, Credit Suisse Bank just failed. That's the second largest bank in Switzerland. Um, Talks about not Deutsche to mention Bank as well. Deutsche Bank is about to as well. Okay. Yeah. So so these are like very big banks, right? The ones in the U.S. we had fail the second and third largest bank failures in U.S. history. Um, and for those that don't know, all of the banks are playing the same game. It's called fractional reserve banking. So when we deposit money into a bank, the bank borrows against our deposits. They put our money at risk and they take that money they've borrowed from our deposits and they either loan it out to other people or they invest it. And so what's happening is most banks only have about 30 days worth of reserves on hand to stay in business if the depositors start taking money out too fast. So you have to think about, you know, if you and I go deposit money in the bank, our expectation is that it's there and that we're going to be able to get it when we need it. But the reality is here in the U.S., the reserve requirement is zero percent, meaning none of our money oh, wow, is in really? the bank. Yep, the, they're trying to raise it, it up it to 2%. It used to be higher, wasn't it? Yeah, wasn't it like 2-3% a few years ago? So it was ten percent. It kind of went. It was yeah, exactly. And then it went to two, three, but it it kind of went unnoticed to zero. So it was ten percent. Um, the day that COVID happened, the um, the Federal Reserve Bank in the United States released an order saying that it was now being dropped to zero, oh, wow. and nobody noticed. Um, so it's been at zero, you know, the last two years. Now they're saying they're trying to raise it up to two percent, which is like cute, but it's like 
98% of my money still isn't there, even when they get it up to that 2%, right? So, you know, they're paying us the average savings account, Zarina, here in the US, it's 0.34% interest, um, which means it's going to take me 211 years to double my money in the bank. On average, when you leave money in a bank, they make between 400 to 1300% on your deposits, and they pay you and I 0.34% or less. Right. So they're putting the money at risk here in the US. We have like insurance. It's called federal deposit insurance. Um, that's unfunded. So the banks aren't even paying into that. The, the FDIC actually has to borrow money from the US Treasury to be able to bail banks out when they make bad decisions. But it's what it is is greed. The banks are borrowing against our money, paying us nothing, putting it at risk, making between four and 1300%. And they're investing in very speculative stuff. They're investing in foreign currency trading. They're investing in private equity tech companies. Um, in 2019, JP Morgan Chase, that bank here in the US, largest bank in the world, there was a drug bust in the port of Philadelphia where a, uh, a ship was seized that had 20 million pounds of cocaine on it. And the ship was, was financed and owned by JP Morgan Chase. Um, <laughs> so they're even, they're even getting involved in criminality with our money. Mm -hmm. And then what's happening is they're paying us nothing. So, you know, with Silicon Valley Bank, which was the first one to fail, um, the part of this that reminds me of 2008, Zarina, is hours before Silicon Valley Bank failed, the executives wired themselves bonuses. Mm. And this is the same kind of thing that happened in 2008. It's just in 2008, yeah. it was mortgages. They were playing this dirty mortgage game. They yeah. all got bailed out. They took the bailout money. They paid themselves bonuses. It's the same thing, just with a different yeah. game now. But the game that's being played now is a game that every single bank on the planet plays and has played for over 100 years. So I think the climate we're heading into is I think we're going to see a lot of banks failing. I think the consumer is going to become aware of the fact that, you know, I don't want my money in the bank. It's not safe anymore. And so yeah, they're they're on. already pulling it out. I mean, they're they're keeping uh, media coverage low on people pulling their money out, but it's actually happening. And there's this uh, small uh, section of the Simpsons uh, Simpsons episode where everybody's um, queuing to get money, and there's no money in the bank. So, yeah. what is your information on on this? <laughs> so, unfortunately, here in the U.S. and I think it's in Europe too, banks have a uh, a, a what's called a bail-in. So, meaning before the government's mm. allowed to bail them out, the bank bails in by keeping all the deposits. Mm. And so, um, at least here in the U.S., that provision allows the bank to tell the depositor, "No, you can't have your money." Um, and in 2011, this happened in the European financial crisis. I think it was in Greece where they were limiting yes. withdrawals on a daily basis. You could Maybe only in pull Cyprus as well. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's the direction it heads in. So I would say for me um, personally, I only keep one month of cash in the bank maximum, like at all times, that's the most I keep in my bank. Um, the rest I keep in my life insurance policies, which, by the way, the banks are actually the number one owner and user of life insurance um, as a savings vehicle. Um, I do gold and silver. You know, I invest in my business. I invest in real estate. Um, and so I keep very little in the bank and I also keep very little in cash just because of the way that that inflation acts, the more we keep printing currency and, and creating money out of thin air, it keeps reducing the buying power of the currency that we have. So, you know, it's not a new problem. It's finally just coming to the point where people are seeing it for what it is. Um, and I think as much as possible that you can cut the bank out of your life. I think that's the main part, right? Um, back in the, in the 1700s in the US, when we split from Britain, we boycotted them. We said, we're not mm -hmm. going to buy your tea. We're not going to buy your goods. We're not going to pay your taxes. 
And I think, you know, at a global level, we need individuals to boycott the banks and say, no, we're done with this system. You know, we want something that actually works for us. And, and the banks aren't going to be the ones that provide it. The government's usually in bed with the banks. They're usually a partnership with mm. the, the, the central bank and the individual banks. Um, and so I think it's something that each individual needs to take into their own hands and come up with their own solutions on building wealth, saving money and being in control of their finances. Mm -hmm. Well, they would still need some cash on hand to in case they cannot withdraw any money, you know, for groceries and stuff like that for a few months until they can things can figure it themselves out. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so on the 1st of July, there's an upcoming debt ceiling voting in the US. Well, do you expect the debt ceiling to be lifted again? Yeah, it's kind of like the credit limit on a credit card. You know, when somebody's maxed out their credit card, you know, they can't spend any more money on it. And they need to pay their minimum payments with the credit card. They're going to ask for a limit increase. So we're in the US, we're constantly over budget. We don't have surplus. The government spends more than it brings in. Um, and so we're basically the government is is a, is a guy with a credit card who charged up way too much money on the credit card, can't make his payments. And now he's calling the bank and asking for a credit limit increase so he can continue making his payments by charging them on the credit card. Um, so that game will never stop until it finally just collapses. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when when will this finally final collapse be because there were such prognosis back in 2008 that it's you know that then it was the time you know then there were forecasts also about 2020 and we are mm -hmm. still seeing this debt limit being lifted and lifted and lifted and how long can this perpetuate do you think you know it's gone on probably longer than it has in history like the united states has been very good at keeping this going um, it's all rooted in the concept of our currency. So the US currency, and I think over in, in Europe too, it's known as fiat currency. It's backed by nothing. And, and the reason why it works is it's, it's the degree that we utilize that fiat currency is the degree of trust we have in our government. And so this entire debt ceiling and all of the stuff that's going on, it will continue as long as, as the citizens allow it to, as long as we keep having confidence. And a lot of us you know, we have our mortgage and we have our jobs and we're trying to invest for retirement and we're trying to enjoy life and we're trying to, you know, put our kids through college. We don't want the inconvenience of having to have this happen. So it's easier just to keep believing in the government. And so until the majority of the citizens get to a point that, no, we don't believe in the government anymore, uh, we don't have confidence in the system, then the government will be able to keep kicking the can down the road and increasing the budget and raising the debt ceiling and printing money and, you know, that will result in all of us paying higher taxes, you know, having a lower cost or a lower, uh, a lower purchasing price with our, our currency, having higher cost of living. And as long as we're willing to put up with it, it'll keep happening. Um, you know, so economically, usually this kind of a thing leads either to, you know, uprest at an individual level with citizens or it might lead to war. And that usually is when an economy and a, and a civilization collapses is there's, you know, an internal uprest and, and a re revolution that happens or another company or another country comes in and takes over. Right. It's very, very seldom just financial. Financial is the thing that that bubbles underneath the surface that causes something else to occur. So this will keep stewing and brewing until, you know, at that point, you know, we, we don't believe in it anymore and something happens. Either we, we change it or someone else comes in and changes it.
Mm-hmm. Well, it's already happening with the BRICS. Uh, they're talking about a common currency backed by gold. So it's kind of happening on the level of currency internationally. But I think you're talking about a major war event or an event of a significant uh, societal impact, it, probably. Yeah. 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 I think that's probably where, where you know, and as long as we'll put up with it, that won't happen. You know, we're, if we're all, you know, ignorance is bliss, right? So if we keep on living life and, and just putting up with what's going on, then, you know, things will continue on just like business as usual and economic conditions will get worse for all of us. But right now it already has. Right. If you look at where where the dollar was at a hundred years ago, right in 1913, you know it was. Uh, I think a dollar now is worth like ten cents. You know, it's it's significant. So um, we've already seen it get worse and worse, and it's going to continue to. And and it'll just be how long do people put up with it for? Yeah. Okay. So how can you help people with your company and with your financial knowledge in wealth dynamics? Wealth dynamics with an X at the end. With an X at the end. Yeah. Um, so what we do with this is, is um, you know, the first thing is, is focus on what you can control. Right. And so with, um, with these kind of conversations, they're always very delicate because it can get people put into, into fear and worry. And it's something that they don't have direct control over. Um, and that's where it's like, you know, I'm, I'm emotionally, I'm worked up, I'm stressed out, but I don't know what to do about it. So I always like to put people back in a position of, okay, all that being said, here's what we can do about it today. Right. And so the first thing is understand money. I think everyone should spend at least 10 minutes a day learning about finances. There's so much out there, social media, YouTube videos, uh, even my stuff. If you want to go find me on YouTube or TikTok, we do free videos all the time. There's articles, there's investment. What is your YouTube channel called? Uh, it's just Jerry Feta, just my first and last name. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do a lot of content there and that really helps you understand money. Um, when you understand something, you reduce the chance of being the adverse effect of it. So that education is big. And then the second one is, is to produce income. So let's say everything does crash, you know, new currencies come out, you know, new countries come to rise, whatever. We still will need to be able to earn whatever the currency is by producing value for society. Uh, and whether that's in US dollars or whether that's in euros or whether that's in bricks or whether that's in kernels of corn. Right. I need to be able to figure out what's the want and need that another individual has. How do I get in communication with them, produce that, provide that at a satisfactory level and get paid whatever the currency is for it. Um, and so that starts today. We can do that. You know, even though dollars go down in value, I still want to earn as many of them as I can. Right. Because I can convert those into assets. You know, I'm going to turn it into gold, silver, real estate, life insurance, things that if a crash happens, they're still going to be around. Um, and they have stood the test of time. So that's the other part of it is, you know, I'm earning good income and I want to put that in things that have lasted longer than just this civilization. Um, you know, things that have been around for centuries or thousands of years, because those will continue to be, um, right. And so those, those are some of the main things I look at, um, you know, and then the other aspect of it is like, if you understand this stuff and you have the solutions and you've got some education, um, without freaking anyone out too bad, kind of share it with them too. Give them solutions. You know, the more people we have that understand what's going on and what can be done about it and and they're taking care of their own household. It's interesting, the word economy, the root of that word actually means your personal household. Uh, We think economy, we think about this really big, vast, you know, the stock market and the on the whole country. That's a definition of it. But the original definition is your personal household. Mm -hmm. So how many people can we get that are managing their personal households in a way that 
you know, it creates this ripple effect of positive change. So I think those are some of the solutions for sure. Um, and there's a lot of it that we just can't control. We've got to wait and see what happens, but we can we can take care of things at home while while we're waiting in the meantime. Without scaring people, are you personally prepared for a societal collapse? You know, I don't think anyone can truly say yes to that question. I think there's there's a I think that's a wild card, right? So yeah. if a societal collapse happens, I think you know you have to really in in that moment analyze what's going on. And what do I need to do, right? So there's definitely some precautionary measures you probably can take. Um, and also you have to just be willing to, willing to handle whatever is coming up in that moment. Okay, we touched on a lot of topics, Jerry. Uh, we talked about mindset, AI, how to build yourself up again after failing. We talked about uh, how to survive, what to invest in. What have we missed in this conversation? I think we've hit everything almost. This was a very well-versed uh, conversation today. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, great. So people head to Jerry's YouTube channel, Jerry Feta. Also uh, on Instagram, is it the same handle, Jerry Feta? Yep, same handle there double too. T. Yeah, Jerry yep. Feta, double R, double T on the Feta. Um, your website is wealthdynamics.com. Yes, and again, that's with an X, D-Y-N-A-M-X. Wonderful. Thank you so much for the generosity in conversation and sharing the information that you, that you have and for, you know, wanting to use your gifts to help the world as well. Thank you. My pleasure. It's, it's been great to be on the show today. Thank you for listening to Grow and Learn. We hope that you found our podcast informative, engaging, and inspiring. Our mission is to help you keep growing and learning, and we hope that our conversations and insights have provided you with practical advice and useful perspectives. If you're looking for personalized support and guidance to help you achieve your personal or professional growth objectives, I offer a range of services to help. As a trusted management partner and mentor, I work with businesses in the process of transformation, looking for new streams of business, as well as M&A. With an extensive professional network of experts and mentors, I can bring on board the right person or team based on the specific needs of the company I'm working with. To learn more about the services I offer and how I can help you achieve your goals, visit my website at growandlearn.org. You can also reach out to me via email or social media. I'd love to hear from you. And if you enjoyed this episode of Grow and Learn, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Your feedback is important to us and it helps us to continue to create content that is relevant and valuable to our listeners. Thanks again for listening and we look forward to sharing more insights and perspectives with you in the future.